Ain't no problem. So welcome back to your favorite podcast, Keys to Sound, with your host, Keyshawn Johnson. And today, we'll have a great show as we welcome Ross Jackson in from Locked on Saints podcast. Ross, welcome to the Keys to Sound. Brother, it is my absolute pleasure to be here with you. We've been we've been talking about this for a long time, so I'm glad that we finally got it on the books. And here we are getting it on wax, man. I appreciate you having me come through. 100%. I appreciate that. It's been a long, I think it was uh, July of last year. when I. First yeah, started. we almost made it a whole year. So <laughs> thankfully, thankfully that didn't happen. <laughs> for sure, for sure. But I, like, I, like I told you many times in NRDMs, I appreciate you coming on. I, I've, I've played this ever since I asked you and you've been, and throughout that year, you've been real, um, you've been real, you've pl- replied fast, you know, you've just been a real guy and I appreciate that. But, yeah, uh, man. But first, I want to start with kind of a generic question, but I, I really kind of don't know myself. Who is Ross Jackson? Oh, man. Shoot. I don't even know if I know. I'm still trying to figure it out. No, man. It's so. So, you know, look, I uh, I came up in, in New Orleans, born and raised and everything uh, ended up, you know, do it, do it a ton in terms of, um, you know, after Katrina and all this other stuff. And so I, I have a long story, man. And the the, the bottom line is that you know, I'm one of many, many people just like yourself that trials, tribulations, all that they form us, they create the foundation upon which our houses are built. Mm -hmm. And so I am merely a a house still under construction, man, and just, uh, you know, continue to try to get better and improve every day. And uh, I I hope that I show that and I hope that I show the improvement every day too. And that's, that's the best that I could ask for. So, you know, if, if I had to, if I had to describe myself as, you know, three different things it would probably be you know um soon to be loving husband uh my my fiance and i are engaged we're looking at our wedding in october so i'm very excited about that uh dog owner which is a very important part of my personality because i try to be the person my mama raised me to be but the person that my dog thinks that i am uh and outside and probably the third thing would just be you know a a house built on resilience man those are the things i try to be every day resilience i like that and congratulations on you and your fiance that's a that's a beautiful thing appreciate it man yes so so ross i'm I'm, we're gonna get started for real but i gotta ask you this how do you keep a woman happy for the listeners out there um you know my mom my mom raised me to never stop to, to never stop, right? To never take anything for granted. So, you know, the way that I, I grew up in a single parent household with my mother and the way that she always raised me was, and this goes for, you know, any partner, right? Not just, not just a woman, but any partner that the idea is that you work really hard sometimes to get into the relationship, but then uh, sometimes you stop working once you get in the relationship, but you have to keep working to maintain the relationship. So relationship maintenance has always been really important to me. So open communication, having conversations, date nights, all that stuff, going out, doing all that and making sure that like we're working at it as if we just met each other and we're trying to learn more about each other every day. That's kind of the way that I've always gone about it. And that's been really effective and beneficial for the specific relationship that I'm in, but something that I think might be helpful to other folks too. Okay, for sure. Solid advice from Ross Jackson already, for sure. <laughs> Locked on Saints love guru up in here now. That's what I'm talking about. They expand the brand, baby. No cap. Dr. Phil Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But um, well, speak about that. You know, you just said locked on. Uh, saying so, speak on your podcast. You know, what is that? For? How, how did that come about? You know, all stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, I got into the podcasting game in about 2017. So I was I was relatively late to it. I mean, I know people who've been podcasting since 2000. 10 2012 and even before that before they were called something else but uh but you know podcasting nonetheless and so i had started as a writer for this website called all saints consider which was started by a lot who's who is now a lifelong friend of mine tyler mcclatchy he reached out on a you know the new orleans saints subreddit on reddit and was like hey i'm thinking about starting a uh, a website where there be anybody here that'd be interested in writing and just, you know, coming over and having a good time for this blog. And I said, yeah, I'll definitely do it. And in the midst of doing that, we started podcasting as well. And I just had such a blast doing that. I've been an entertainer all my life. I, I performed and uh, I did street poetry. I did, well, I did uh, beat poetry as a street performer in the quarter when I was growing up, when I was a teenager. And then uh, after Katrina, I started doing theater. And actually, I had about a 10-year career in theater, but uh, mostly in, in administration and as a stage manager, but I had you know always been a performer beforehand in terms of my my introduction to it, and so you know the idea of being in front of a microphone and speaking and everything was something that I loved doing and getting to talk about the Saints, getting to talk about you know my favorite sport, getting to talk about football, which I love uh, and was my first love in terms of what I wanted to do with my life. That was really rejuvenating, and then. One day, David Locke, who's the, uh, the the founder and president of the Locked On Podcast Network, called me and he was like, hey, uh, you probably don't know a lot about the Locked On Podcast Network and that's okay, but I want you to come and join. I'd love you to do a show every Monday through Friday. You think you could do it? And I just said yes. And I've been with the network since August 6th of 2018, almost three years going now. Um, and you know, I've been fortunate enough to cover a team that has been incredibly engaging, incredibly inviting and uh, incredibly interesting and it's only going to get more interesting here going into 2021 yes sir hey that guy right there knows how to talk into a mic <laughs> <laughs> hey i do what i can man i do what i can you know so i was going to go whoa, whoa, whoa. okay i'll we of course we're going to talk about the saints yeah yeah no but you're but, good uh, we'll slow the tempo down a little bit you know you said you grew up in new orleans your whole life single parent uh household growing up with your mom you know just give us what uh ross was like growing up and, and uh, speak on a little bit about Katrina as well, if you would. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So my, my dad was around for a little while, or at least the, the dad that I grew up with was around for a little while. But then after he left, um, I had dropped out of school. And, you know, so I was in like middle school and I was, quote unquote, homeschooled, which was not something I was just trying not to get arrested for truancy. And yeah. so, <laughs> and so, you know, I, I started, you know, just you know, trying to find other ways to make money and everything like that. And, you know, taking care of me and my mom who, uh, you know, she, she wasn't able to have a job cause she didn't have one for like the 20 years that they were together and, you know, some other complicated stuff. Right. And, um, you know, in the midst of all this, right before Katrina happened, I had found out that I was dealing with a pretty bad, uh, condition. I, I had a brain tumor and I had to get that, uh, obviously taken care of. And so, you know, here we are broke, uh, just, yeah, we had just lost our house at that time. And we were kind of living out of our car slash sleeping at my, my mom's parents' house who like were not great people. And, uh, and, and it was just a really terrible situation. But then I, you know, I had to go and get the, the surgery done and thank goodness for the, uh, New Orleans, uh, children's hospital for being as incredible as they are. And they took really great care of me and, 
you know, I was out of, uh, you know, I went in, got my surgery and then I was out and then had to go back to the hospital for some complications. And then two weeks later, Katrina hit. So it was a pretty crazy time, yo. And, uh, so we, we hunkered down. We didn't leave the city. We stayed there. We were out on the West bank since we were with my parents, parents and everything. So we didn't deal with the flooding or anything like that, but we had, you know, down trees, high winds, roof damage, all that stuff. And then, uh, and then we were just kind of stuck. Like we couldn't go anywhere. And then eventually the Salvation Army came through and, you know, we got a little bit of money so that we could, we could go up North. Uh, so we went up North to like the kind of Alexandria area area, basically. Uh, and then eventually moved up from there to, to hot Springs, Arkansas for a little while. And that's where I got back into school and, and all this. Other. Well, actually I got back into school at Cecilia, shout out Cecilia high school, shout out the bulldogs. Uh, but you know, they were just letting people into school. So I was like, well, I might as well go back, you know, try to get an education and everything. And I'm grateful that I did that. And so it was, you know, there were formative years, man, like that, that's, that's, that's a lot of formative experience to happen over the course, of like two years of my life, like dad leaves houses lost and then right into, um, right into surgery and then Katrina and then moving around and everything like that. Like, it's pretty crazy. And, you know, I, I'm glad that we made it through, but you know, it's, it's all credit to my mother who was just the, the, the rock and the stone that, you know, every mother tends to try to be in those moments. And she definitely succeeded in that. hundred percent. Moms are definitely the greatest people on the planet. It's not even a question. Hey, no doubt. No doubt. So I, I, I've grown up in Waxhaki, Texas my whole life. I don't meet a lot of Saints fans. Let's get right into Let's this. do it. So I'm going I'm to start with a quick puncher. Jameis or Taysom and why? So right now for me, it's Jameis. Um, and it, it comes down to experience, right? I mean, you're talking five years of starting experience, number one overall selection, who's really been humbled by this whole experience so far during the offseason thus far. He's been saying the right things, kind of doing the right things. I mean, he's had some pretty incredible interviews with New Orleans media, Sean Payton's daughter over at WGNO. He's done a couple of other interviews, the, the Dak Prescott camp speech that he gave and everything. <laughs> I mean, the dudes, I mean, like he's saying, all the right things right and so you just wonder like is he gonna bring the positives and mitigate the negatives in a sean payton system i think you have to find that out and so for me it, it, it's Jameis. but you know i mean look the the team loves Taysom. the 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 coaching staff i know sean payton of course loves Taysom, and so they're willing to roll with Taysom if they feel that Taysom's going to be the best option but i think Taysom's in a position to where he kind of has to prove it in camp uh, while Jameis Winston just needs to maintain it over the course of camp in the preseason. Right. So it sounds like you feel the same way I do. It's Jameis's job to lose. Yeah. Like, I, I, I love Taysom Hill, don't get me wrong. But when I think of Taysom Hill being my starting quarterback, I think, okay, those two-minute drills, you have, you have two minutes to go down and win the game. I just don't, I just don't trust Taysom. I really don't. It was, it was, and that was a real big challenge for him last year because he didn't have that part of the playbook yet, right? Like they, they weren't able to do anything up tempo with Taysom in those four games. That's a very small sample size, right? So if you think about all the things that Jameis has to do to win the starting position, and for me, that's that's still have the big playability that he has, but mitigate the turnovers and and that's not only interceptions, but also fumbles, which he has a bit of a knack for, but not all of them his fault, right? There's some some context that has to be given to that. Nick Underhill's done a great job of underlining all of that. But he's got to be a, a better decision maker, mitigate the turnovers, and maintain a high level of, proact uh, of production. And I guess, I guess also utilize Alvin Kamara out the backfield, but I think that comes down to maintaining um, a good decision making, right? 
But then when it comes to Taysom Hill, it's can you learn how to operate within the red zone when it's not your assignment to keep the ball? Are you able to learn and pick up the two minute drill portion of the playbook and expand your red zone playbook? Can you read defenses quickly and make decisions, you know, and increase your decision making processing ability in terms of the speed and continue to make good decisions. He made good decisions last year. I mean, he had a couple of passes that were, you know, in the wrong, but, but, you know, Drew Brees has thrown, you know, a couple of interceptions that kind of made you scratch your head. Like it happens to everybody, but you know, he, he was a good decision maker and he was careful with the ball in the passing game. He had some trouble with fumbles, of course, but there's just more things for me that Taysom Hill still has to check the box on as compared to Jameis Winston. But maybe Jameis Winston's questions are just bigger because they're centered around turnovers. Right. Especially throwing 30 interceptions that will that won't give people confidence in you. It's hard to ignore that. It's hard to ignore that. And, you know, look, you can look at the previous seasons and say, hey, he never threw over 19 opposite that and everything. And the Saints won a Super Bowl in a season that Drew Brees threw 22 and Drew Brees was a gunslinger at one point. But no matter what, like, it's hard to refute 30 interceptions. And I think, you know, uh, a better offensive line, better pass catchers, particularly with Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara, would definitely help mitigate some of the issues that you saw. It's where it was interceptions off of tip passes and being rushed and things like that. But you still, in, in some of those, it was also a decision-making issue, right? What was the actual window available? Did you have to throw deep when you had pressure in your face? Did you have a check down option that you passed up? No hero ball in New Orleans. New Orleans has never been about that. New Orleans is always about making the right decision. Correct. Correct, correct, correct. Yeah, now you grew up in New Orleans. You've been a, a Saints fan for a long time, yeah? Yeah, man, born and raised. So let's go ahead and talk about my guy, Drew Brees. Well, first mm-hmm. of all, what Drew Brees means to that city. He came right after Katrina. Yeah. And then he just never looked back since. And it just, you've you seen a change in that organ in the organization. Yeah, I mean, it was really interesting because remember in 2006, Drew Brees wasn't the savior uh, apparent, right? The savior apparent was Reggie Bush. Mm-hmm. Who they ended up getting in that that same uh, that draft year, and of course that draft class 2006 was remarkable. It was incredible, and uh, so it was you know all the right things at the right time. You had the head coaching change into Sean Payton. You got your quarterback in Drew Brees. You had this great draft class that came in, and it was this new golden era, kind of like what happened in the 1980s when Jim Mora came in from the USFL and he brought in Vaughn Johnson and Sam Mills to pair up with, you know, Pat Swilling, who they drafted that year. And everything. it was just like, you know, all the things, all the, the chips fell in the right position. And you certainly saw that for the Saints in 2006. And Drew Brees was a huge part of that. And then he would go on to be essentially, I mean, he would go on to be the longest standing member out of that group, uh, he and Thomas Morstead both. No, Thomas Morstead was 2009. So you know he yeah. he would be the longest um, the longest standing member of that Super Bowl era, basically of that Super Bowl win, and you know revitalized a led a revitalization of a franchise that paralleled the revitalization of the city of the region, right? The Gulf Coast region that was just you know, lambasted by this hurricane, this, this terrible, terrible situation that so many people were subject to. And then you had this, you know, displaced football team coming back from playing games and, you know, to you know, playing games at LSU and playing games in, you know, uh, San Antonio and everything. And, and all this other stuff that went around with that, with the team, you know, people trying to keep the team in San Antonio and all that craziness. 
And instead, you know, you have Drew Brees bring the city of New Orleans three years later a Super Bowl and bring, you know, the winningest portion of the franchise over the course of 15 years after that, you know. So him hanging it up was a huge deal, regardless of how expected it was. It was a really big deal because it was always every season before that it was, nah, he'll be back. And it was this season to where you were kind of like, mm, will he though? Because <laughs> he, dealt, he dealt with a lot, you know, on the field with those injuries. He did. It's all. I gotta get this off my brain. It's all Pete's fault. I need. I don't even know why he still has a job. <laughs> no, I mean, kids. look. I, I think. I think you know. Andrews Pete is a bit of a punching bag. He gets. He gets a lot of. Uh, he gets a lot of hate amongst the Saints fan base. But you know, it is. It there are. There's a correlation of a bunch of different things that came together, kind of at the wrong time and everything. And so you know, the injuries start to pile on and stuff like that. That. You know, you could look at the UCL tear and say, hey, Andrews Pete was the guy that was supposed to hold that block. But then that team also went on to win five games without Drew Brees at the same time and everything. And then there were some st- there were also things toward the end of the, you know, the past couple of seasons that were well out of the team's control. If you look at, you know, obviously the playoff exits 2017, 2018 are, you know, key to that. And so I, I think that, you know, there's there's a bunch of little things that all kind of compound to all of that. But if if nothing else, like. Drew Brees has a personal life. He has a home life. He's got four kids and a wife, and it was just kind of like, nah, this is the time. Yeah, definitely the time. Um, Drew Brees is actually the reason I even started liking football and became a Saints fan, obviously. Mm. Thinking about Drew retirement since about, like, 2017, it's just been, like, so draining for me. But it was definitely time uh, this year. Yeah, like you said, the injuries. The- I fought for a long time when people said he had a noodle arm. I, I-, I didn't think Drew – Oh, I don't think Drew was a quarterback that ever had, like, a huge arm. He was never an Aaron Rodgers pass mm-hmm. up. Um, never nothing like that. He just a guy that was really accurate and got the job done. But, um, yes, Drew Brees, that's, that's, I, rank him, I rank him number one all time. I get a mm-hmm. lot of for that. Where do you rank Drew all time, QB? I mean, I think he is the – I, I, I kind of, when I look at all-time rankings and stuff like that, I always want to caveat stuff. Uh, because I kind of think about Drew Brees as like the greatest regular season quarterback, the most accurate quarterback of all time, the best decision maker, the smartest player on the field, but maybe not necessarily the most, the winningest quarterback, right? I mean, you have to look at the winningest quarterback being Tom Brady, and then you look at how many rings and all these other things. And so I think that like that conversation is one that I annoy people about because of the fact that I never answer it straight up. And I'm not like, this is the greatest quarterback because I think there's caveats and, and, right. and definitions and context that are necessary for that conversation. But definitely because of the places that I can rank him, you know, the most accurate, the most efficient, the smartest, all these other things, uh, the best leader, the best maximizer in terms of maximizing uh, talent around him he's easily the quarterback that if you told me hey you can have you know 15 years of prime x quarterback i would take drew Brees. without question and 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 he wasn't supposed to be that guy you know he's a right he like five eleven three quarters he, uh, <laughs> he wrecked his shoulder when john lynch hit him in san diego it was never supposed to be that guy you know and i i think that's what i admire most about drew is that you know like you said, our resilience is definitely something that you can put Drew under as well. Yeah, so, for sure. Definitely been my guy my whole life. Um, so you spoke a little bit. Hurts my heart to talk about this. You spoke a little bit about our playoff exits the last four or five years. How do guys like me and you stay sane after watching 
such blasphemy throughout the years. <laughs> I think it's interesting. I mean, you know, you look at 2017, 2018 in particular, those were particularly challenging and hurtful, right? Like those were ones that were well out of anybody's control. And you have this big fluke play, you know, for Minneapolis, you have this just kind of ridiculous, no call in the Superdome and everything. And those are things that are kind of out of your control. And so because of that, I kind of moved on from them quickly because it's like, well, you know, what you going to do, you know, like it happened. It shouldn't have happened. I'm going to complain about it for a week or so. I'm going to have a little bit of fun at the expense of Bill Vinovich and his, his, you know, his, his posse and whatever. But ultimately like nothing's going to overturn that. Like the NFL is never going to say, outwardly hey we made a mistake (laughs) you know we just we know that you know whether you're looking at you know the no call you're looking at Kaepernick you're looking at whatever like they'll never admit when they've made a mistake not to a meaningful uh level right like they'll make a little statement or whatever but that's about it they'll paint you know they'll leave end racism on the back of the uh, end zone and negative space but they'll never actually do anything to end racism so you know that's that's a tangent for another time <laughs> but but you know i mean it's just it's an example of where the where where the nfl tends to sit and so i think that you know you look at 2009 2020 in particular though and i think one of the ways that the fan base moves on from that is that it's diagnosable right like you could see where those games went wrong you could see where you know the saints could have performed better or this one moment that could have changed everything i mean imagine the 2020 playoff exit against the tampa Bay buccaneers imagine that game without deontay harris's punt returns getting called back right. you know what i mean like that momentum would have been entirely different man all of them hurt 2017 i was at my pop's house and i just fell to my knees yeah it was, <laughs> was rough man that was like, rough i'd be serious like yeah. those I feel like Drew should have at least three, four rings. Like, it's just the defense has let him down a lot. And then uh, 2018 was actually my mom's first time uh, watching me watch a Saints game. uh, (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) So when he hit Tommy Lee Lewis, I was, like, cheering. I was like, yes, like, we're at the one, like, game is over. Like, we're going to the Super Bowl. And then I slowly, like, was, like, slowly started getting really sad. (laughs) Right, right. She was like, what happened? I was like, listen. I'm going to go on a walk. (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll be back. (laughs) But yeah, definitely. um, In the moment, they stung. But like you say, you know, the stuff like, well, what are we going to do? And of course, you know, uh, we, us Saints fans, get a lot of, a lot of crap because the Saints, uh, the Saints, most Saints fans wanted to start a petition and whatnot. But at the end of the day, it is what it is. But um, the future for the team looks bright. It really does. I believe Jameis comes in and does well. And, um, we win a Super Bowl this year. I'm gonna go ahead and say it. Oh, there you go. There you go. All right. All right. Who's who's raising the trophy? Is it is it Jameis? Uh, gotta be in. It got. Oh, I don't know. I gotta go with my favorite. I gotta go AK and MT. Oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> but Sean before anybody. Yes, so, of course, deservingly in, so. In, in, interesting question about Sean. How long do you give Sean? A lot of people want to blame Sean for his play calling and whatnot. I think he was a little bit held back. With Drew Brees's, uh, you know, aging and not being able to throw the rock like he could at one time. How long? Yeah, yeah. I mean, look. I think you know, Drew Brees himself. If you look back just a couple weeks ago to the um, the Saints Hall of Fame Golf Open, you know, Drew was talking about look like there's stuff that I that I wasn't able to do last year. And he was really open and honest about that. And, you know, that's part of why he hung it up too, is because he was like, I I just didn't. There were things that I couldn't do, and so I think. 
you know, Drew Brees is no disrespect to Drew at all by any means, but there were limitations that came at this stage in the game. And there's limitations that come at this stage of the game for any quarterback that's playing into their forties. Like that's to be expected. And so I think that, you know, for Sean, the, the fact that he put together, you know, the winningest team over the course of three seasons, four seasons, that's really to his credit more than it is to any type of, uh, you know, and he did I'm going to hold over his head and say this was, you know, Sean Payton's fault. I think Sean Payton has been one of the best play callers that we've seen since arriving in 2006. And even before that, when he was doing play calling for the New York Giants. I mean, this is a guy who's produced, you know, more top five offenses, top 10 offenses, all of that other, all that stuff. And so I, I just really think that, you know, I look at Sean Payton and I say Sean Payton has as much time as he wants left. You know, I mean, I, I think as long as he's winning, He's in New Orleans, you know, and I don't see him going anywhere else. It's tough for me to picture him coaching for another team. And anytime that and you can't have the conversation about Sean Payton being gone without having the conversation of the rest of that coaching staff being gone, potentially even Mickey Loomis by that time and things like that. Like I could see Sean Payton being in New Orleans and being involved in, in New Orleans moving forward for the New Orleans Saints, the way that Bill Belichick is a staple for the New England Patriots. Um, you know what I mean? So that's really the way that I see it with him. I think Sean Payton is the New Orleans Saints head coach for as long as Sean Payton wants to be the New Orleans Saints head coach, much like Drew Brees was the quarterback until as, as long as he wanted to be the quarterback. 100%. I, I, um, I'm in a, I'm in a Saints group chat that we made about three years ago. Mm-hmm. Just a bunch of randoms that, you know, we were uh, in the Saints comments and someone had commented, you know, who wants to start a Saints group chat? So we did. And a lot of those guys were like, Drew, no way Drew starts, boom, boom, boom. And I'm like, as long as Drew ties him up, he's going to start for the Saints. It's just not Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. So um, moving on to talking a little bit more about next season, I want to get to this uh, this draft class and what are mm-hmm. still big needs that we have, in your opinion. So the draft class, my favorite pick was probably Paulson. I think we really oh. need a, another standout corner. And he's mm-hmm. uh, he's he's – I think he should have got drafted a lot higher than he did, but I'm glad we got him. And then um, my head scratcher is Ian Book. I'm not going to lie. I didn't understand. <laughs> <laughs> it was in the, like, like the third round. I think that was a little high for a quarterback. But, you know, uh, I watched a lot of Ian. I love the quarterback position. So I watched uh, – I'm going to say a lot of Ian, but I watched a good good number of snaps from Ian. What, what's your – what just your overall thoughts on the draft class and big needs that we still have? Yeah, I think it's an interesting draft class. I think it's one that drew a lot of scrutiny. And usually when you have a draft class that draws a lot of scrutiny, that draft class ends up overperforming, right? Because mm-hmm. you're looking at players that were on NFL teams radars that weren't on the general public's radars. And so that's a really clear designation and a really clear distinction. I think Peyton Turner can be something very special. I know a lot of people compare him to Marcus Davenport. I kind of compare him a little bit more to a longer cam jordan i mean longer in terms of like wingspan arm length stuff like that but you know he was a five four inside tech kind of guy a little bit more of a run stopper defensive end for his first two years at houston and then they finally let him loose at the you know seven you know seven eight six seven nine you know edge rusher type go ahead and put pin your ears back and get after the quarterback and then he shined and then he had a lot of production over those two years you don't usually see from a guy that just started playing the position. So from that perspective, he's raw. And maybe that's where he's getting some of the, the, the Marcus Davenport 
comparisons because he's long and he's he's raw, but he's got more pass rushing moves. He has a greater index of pass rushing moves. He's a bit more, um, let's say, experienced in tying those moves together, going from one to another. He just needs to develop a plan with that pass rush. And for me, one of the things that makes that so one of the things that makes that so um, achievable is the fact that he'll be working with Ryan Nielsen, who's been outstanding and has de been developing defensive lobbying for the New Orleans Saints for the past few seasons, even undrafted free agents that have made 53-man rosters in Taylor Stallworth and then, of course, Malcolm Roach and Shai Tuttle. So I have a lot of faith in that. Um, when it comes down to Pete Werner, Pete Werner is going to be a starter in the NFL for 10, 10, 10 13 seasons. Like, <laughs> that's... Okay. He he's one of those guys that, you know, whether it's for New Orleans or otherwise, he's just one of those guys that is good at everything that he does, kind of a jack of all trades, but a master of none. He's not an in, in, elite at any specific thing outside of maybe his pursuit from the second level, which the Saints blitz that linebacker next to Demario Davis about 17% of the time, which matches his collegiate blitz rate as well. So I think that he'll fit in pretty well there. He can cover pretty well. He can defend the run pretty well. Like he does all these things good, right? But, you know, he's not a playmaker. He doesn't have a ton of interceptions. He's not making big plays from the second level, stuff like that. So I, I think that, you know, sans that part of it, he'll be a starter for a long time in the NFL. Um, Paulson's probably my favorite draft pick too up with me so I, I you've seen how excited i've been around paulson adebo and everything i mean i i get very excited about the two things that i love are cornerbacks that used to play wide receiver and defensive linemen that used to play offensive line because you know what that guy's wanted to you know you you have the mental of that guy Right, right, exactly. And Paul Sanadibo is so good with that. He recognizes route combinations really well, understands offensive concepts, and uh, you know is able to be a little bit smarter, quicker on his toes because of all that. Plays a little high, uh, has some issues transitioning from backpedal into trail technique or whatever technique he's playing. All that stuff working with Chris Richard, I think he's going to be fine when it comes to that. Um right. Ian Book, probably the biggest question mark for me too. My Ian Book draft day story is that I was sitting there and I was on a live stream with some of the guys over at uh, SI uh, that cover the draft for Draft Bible. And we were talking and everything. And I had jumped over from another live stream and everything. And it was getting into the fourth round. The Saints were back up on the clock at 133. And we were talking about, somebody asked me, are you surprised that the Saints didn't draft a quarterback early in the draft? And I said, no, not really. I just don't think that the Saints were really too interested in investing in the quarterback position early on in the draft and muddying up the waters when you have your first quarterback competition in two decades for the franchise. And then no sooner I said that, of course, they draft Ian Book out of Notre Dame at 133. <laughs> and so I was sitting there like, well, it's not early. So when I look at Ian Book, he's not somebody that's going to challenge for a starting role in 2021, but he and Trevor, uh, Trevor Simeon are going to be firmly entrenched in the battle for QB3. And I wouldn't be surprised if Ian Book won wins it, if well, I'm being 100% honest. You actually just told me. I didn't know we still had Trevor. I did not know. Yeah, that. Trevor Trevor Simeon is still on the roster. Uh, and, you know, they kept Trevor Simeon after last year. They signed him to a futures contract to keep him around and bring him back for camp. 
going into 2021 because if you look at the you know the the sort of heyday of the New Orleans Saints during the Drew Brees period, there were guys like Mark Brunel and yeah. um, you know Chase Daniel, Luke McCown, these perennial backup guys that were the clipboard holders on the sideline that talked to Drew Brees when the defense was on the field about what they're seeing from the opposing defense from the sideline. The Saints for the past two seasons, three seasons, haven't had that because right. they've gone with looking at who's going to be the heir apparent for Drew Brees. So you had two seasons of Teddy Bridgewater, and then you had, you know, um, Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston. And, all and so you haven't really had that guy. And so Trevor Simeon looked like he was going to be that guy, but now he's got some competition in Ian Book. Yeah, I think Ian wins that as well. Um, I did not know he still had Trevor. Though. That's great. Mm-hmm. And then um, and then it's big holes we still need to fill. I want to see if we're on the same page. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely look at the starting cornerback position. Again, I'm a big fan of Paulson Adebo, but by the time that September 12th rolls around, when the Saints season kicks off week one, it's nearly two years since the last time that Paulson Adebo played full speed college or NFL level football, right? Like he, he, the last time that he played football at the collegiate level was in November of 2019. So I think he might need more time to develop. We'll find out. I mean, we're going to see, we're going to have mandatory mini camps up here soon. And then July 27th, they'll open up a training camp with the universal reporting date for the first time in NFL history. So everybody going to be there. And so with that being the case, you'll figure out about Paulson and Diego pretty soon and how comfortable the saints are with them. But if they invest it, but they might invest in another veteran corner. So I would, I would look at that potentially being a need for them. Certainly interior defensive line next to, uh, David Onyemata after losing Sheldon Rankins and Malcolm Brown. Who, Big Rank. I love Rank. Yeah, man. Yeah, for real. And those were two guys of the six highest snap count getters on the defensive line. So that's a pretty that was a pretty big loss for them to lose both of those guys. And then um, the other sort of position that I would definitely look at would be uh, the wide receiver two position. And maybe that's not necessarily a need that they need to go out and invest in. It could just be that they need to find an answer uh, for that position sooner rather than later. And there's a lot of folks there to compete for that in that Saints wide receiver room. It is. I, um, I like, I love, I, I, every year I'm like, okay, Trey Quan is going to get it right this year. Trey Quan mm-hmm. is going to get it right this year. I believe this year, truly, he gets it right. I think he's a, He's a serviceable receiver. I don't want to compare compare him to Colson. I mean, yeah, Colston, but he kind of gives me that. He's a possession, but he can also go deep a little. But uh, Quez, I also love Quez. I really, really love Quez. So we'll see there. And then hopefully MT is back healthy and stays healthy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think Traquan Smith has a unique opportunity this year going into 2021 because he was drafted out of UCF in a year where he averaged, I think it was 19.8 yards per catch coming out of out of UCF and he never got the opportunity to perform with the Saints where he excelled in college which was at the Z receiver flanker position opposite your big number 1 X receiver guy on the outside he ended up playing in the slot instead and so he was effectively learning a new position and he's really been majority in the slot over the last couple of years 2020 kind of being a little bit of an exception because there were times where he was performing on the outside because both Emmanuel Sanders and Michael Thomas missed time. But I'll be really interested to see him opposite Michael Thomas actually getting to play the position that he was essentially drafted to play 
that flanker role. So I, I think he has a good opportunity there. But, you know, I talked about a lot of the draft picks, but I didn't talk about Landon Young, who I think is going to be a very interesting piece for them. Could be Zach Streif-like in terms of him being drafted late, but it, but performing well above his draft position. But Kawan Baker, the wide receiver drafted out of South Alabama in the seventh round is somebody that I'm really high on because he's kind of like a Kadarius Tony out of Florida, but he just went to a smaller school. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of do a little bit of everything. You can use him in the, out of the backfield. You can hand the ball off to him. You can use him on jet sweeps, end rounds, give him to give the ball to him close to the line of scrimmage. He can challenge deep. I mean, he has a lot of, a lot of talent. Um, he just performed at a really small school. So can he perform at the next level? In the NFL, we'll have to we'll have to look and find out. But I mean, you know, we've seen small school receivers do it before, right? So it'll be really interesting to see. And I think there's a lot between Traquan Smith, Kawan Baker, Deontay Harris, Marquez Callaway, even Jalen McCleskey, who the Saints just signed, who's a big time speedster. These guys have the ability to challenge Traquan Smith at a level that maybe Traquan Smith hasn't been challenged before, specifically at a spot that is really kind of his to earn right now. Correct. I um I think Harris I think we unlock Harris this year. I think um he's so, he's definitely a special teams guy and a great returner, an all pro returner. Mm-hmm. But um I think this year he uh he had that big catch against Minnesota from Taysom in the um in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And he's just he's shown some flashes. I believe like you say, you take you put Traquan on the outside and let Harris run the slide, it'd be great. It really would. Yeah. And then, that's the those are Sean's type of guys, the ones that can go on the field and you can put them anywhere. Yeah. In threat so I, I feel like you know if he makes the team uh yeah they'll find a role for him quickly and then um and then some some football topics but not necessarily things that i want to get your opinion on mm-hmm. definitely obviously the big storyline of today julio to the titans <laughs> <laughs> yeah official thoughts on that yeah, that's I mean, that's that's a big deal for New Orleans, right? I mean, look, New Orleans has had a lot of success against Julio Jones. Julio Jones has been in the league since 2011. He's been in the division since 2011. He's got three career touchdowns against New Orleans Saints, and he hasn't gotten one since 2016. I love you brought up that stat. I couldn't wait to bring it. <laughs> yeah, like he he has been somebody that the Saints have done a really good job holding in check. Um, you know, he's gotten a ton of yardage against New Orleans and everything, but, which is what happens when a receiver plays against a team uh, plays against the team twice a season. But, you know, I, I think you look at the number of career games that he has against the New Orleans Saints, the Saints has done a really good job keeping him in check. However, the guy opposite him has eaten a lot in Calvin Ridley. And, and I think this is one of the things that makes defending Atlanta a little bit easier for New Orleans, who has youth all over their defense now at all three levels. And I think that that's something that's going to be really helpful for them is even with the addition of Kyle Pitts, it kind of just feels like a reset in a way to where you just went from Ridley and Jones to Ridley and Pitts. You know what I mean? And so the Saints now are in a little bit of a better situation or a lot better of a situation than the than the original setup, which was going to be them trying to find a way to defend Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts. Sheesh. That would have been a little tough. <laughs> a little bit tougher. That would so, keep up at night for sure. Yeah, yeah, for real. And so so I think this is a win for New Orleans. The only way that this could have gone better is if the Falcons would have traded Julio Jones to Baltimore as opposed to, to Tennessee so that the Saints didn't have to see him at all in right. 2021. But the fact of the matter is that I think that you're going to see Julio Jones have a nice season with Tennessee. You look at Julio Jones over the last – three seasons and he's had i think it's 16 receivers pass catchers let me say 
across the NFL that have had more targets in the red zone than him over the last three seasons, which when you think about Julio Jones and his athleticism, his size, he should be getting fed in the, in, in the red zone all the time. Mm-hmm. So then now you transition that to the Tennessee Titans offense with, um, with John o. Smith last year at tight end who had only, I think he was top 10. He was top nine in the NFL when it came to red zone targets in 2021, excuse me, 2020. So Arthur Smith now headed to Atlanta. You could see that transition to his new tight end in Kyle Pitts, but then in Tennessee, how is that going to, you know, how are the red zone targets going to change for Julio Jones? So I think Julio Jones personally is in a better spot being able to operate outside of opposite a guy like AJ Brown. Um, but I'm just glad that that firepower in Atlanta, not Julio Jones in particular, but that that firepower in Atlanta is a little bit um, snuffed out with this trade. Amen. Uh, I think that's a perfect fit. When I seen AJ Brown go on, I think it was TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I really don't want that to happen. <laughs> I really don't want that to happen. You got Derrick Henry, who is, I, I was just telling my brother earlier, like, okay. So you're either going to stack the box to uh, lock down Derrick Henry and leave A.J. Brown and Julio one-on-one, or you're going to take people out of the box so they can run it down your throat. Pick your poison. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be it's going to be really interesting. And, you know, uh, you know, the, the smartest thing that Tennessee can do, and this was actually something that you look at Tennessee last year, they ran the most two wide receiver sets out of any team in the NFL last year. And so if they get a reliable slot receiver, maybe if they work up a guy like Westbrook Aquina, for instance, if they can build or actually no, Josh Reynolds, who played in the slot quite a bit for the Los Angeles Rams. He's, he's yeah. a great he's a great fit for them. If they operate out of those 11 personnel, three tight, three wide receiver sets with one tight end on the field, and Derrick Henry in the backfield, that's really going to be the most beneficial for them because and Deuce Windham really explained it really broke this down for me. But less less about the safety stack in the box more about spreading the defense horizontally across the field and so having that third wide receiver in the slot takes that other player out of the box if they play a lot of those two tight end sets like they like to do in tennessee then you're still going to have that safety playing within the box and all this other stuff so the the smart thing for them will be running a lot of 11 personnel and running out of 11 personnel, but we'll see if they're willing to switch uh, to change up their game plan that much. Man. Uh, before I forget, cause I don't want to forget big shout out to deuce. I watch. Oh I watch man. This, I um, go on YouTube after I used well, I go on YouTube after the saints games and I just listen to what him. I can't remember the other guy's name right now. I'm going. Blank. Yeah. So he, he and Elias used to do that show together. Right. That's uh who that confessional Elias has since retired. And, and now it's deuce and I, that oh. do that do that show now. So we'll be doing the post games. Man, big shout out to Deuce and shout out to you. I would definitely be tuning in. I, uh, I'm gonna have to get Deuce on here too. I forgot about Deuce. Deuce is great, man. He and uh, we also have uh, Maddie Hudak that's with us, who's like a rising star in the the Saints media game and everything. She's incredible. Um, yeah, so we'll be holding it down over at Hudak Confessional moving forward. But both of them, you should get both of them on the show because they're both fantastic. 100. percent Maybe all three y'all at the same time. We can just there you go. Who that confessional episode? <laughs> so, so does that Julio move make the tight? I got I got asked personally to ask this question to you, but when mm-hmm. I got, so hopefully he listens this far. So, um, does that make the Titan that move? Does that make them a, a threat over the Chiefs in the AFC? Woof, man! Look, it, it it makes it makes them a 
contender in their division for sure, because it was kind of like, ah, oh, it's either going to be Tennessee or it's going to be um, Indianapolis. Like Houston may as well just take the year off, honestly. Yeah. And Jacksonville, you know, new quarterback, new head coach, big distraction at the tight end position now, like all these things. Um, so it, it really felt like it was going to come down to Carson Wentz's ability to get back on his game in Indianapolis, or it was going to come down to Tennessee having a great season. And now that they have Julio Jones, I think Tennessee gets that bolster up in the AFC South. But contending and competing with the Kansas City Chiefs, when you have an extremely young secondary and a secondary that has a lot of questions and you still haven't really improved your pass rush yet, that's really, really tough. So I still give Kansas City the edge because, yeah, Tennessee might have loaded up on a little bit of firepower here, but they would have to produce a ton in order to be able to keep pace with what they would give up to the Kansas City Chiefs in, let's say, an AFC championship game. 100%. Hopefully, if that happens, we have another Kansas City uh, versus Rams game that one year where it went oh. like, it was a Madden game. It was it was great to watch. What an incredible game that was. <laughs> that would be great to watch. But, um, and you brung it up again. I don't know how you know my notes here. You know. I'll just... <laughs> but Tebow in Jacksonville, there's a lot of different feelings about it. Some people are like, oh, you know, he's 33. Why would you sign him? Some people are like, you know, hey, you know, he helps the team overall. What's your feelings on the Tebow signing? Um, I mean, it's it's wild. <laughs> that's that's the best answer I have, man. It's wild. Like, I, I think that that was Urban Meyer doing his guy a solid, if nothing else. But it's a distraction. I mean, Kansas City, excuse me, Jacksonville as a whole they should be putting all their resources and time right now behind Trevor Lawrence and saying, this is the new age of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Stop playing these games with bringing in a guy that hasn't played in the NFL for seven years. And you know, that barely made it playing baseball and barely made it playing a quarterback. And then now you're signing him as a tight end and all this other stuff. And it's just like, look, there's no need for all this. Like I would be shocked, shocked if, um, if he's on the field week one. I really would be. Doesn't mean that he won't be, but I will be shocked if if he does. It feels like this is the type of situation to where Urban Meyer does a guy a solid, he brings him in, and then you know at some point during camp, instead of getting cut, he you know goes to injured reserve with a hangnail or something like that. Like that that feels more likely to me than him actually making the fifty three man roster. But we'll see how it goes. But yeah, I, I've. I look at it as something that was, you know, less than necessary and something that doesn't contribute to the team at all. Man, ever since Taysom Hill popped onto the scene, it seems like every team has been looking for a Taysom, Taysom Hill. And a lot of, of reports I've seen has been, oh, he'll run like a Taysom Hill type offense. And I just, uh, like you said, a guy that hasn't played in like six, seven years, I don't know, like, I don't think you could do the things Taysom Hill does. Taysom Hill ran like a 4 <laughs> 4. Right, right. Taysom is different. Taysom is different. I just don't see Tim doing that. And then he has to be on special teams. Like, at the end of the day, the guys in the NFL, no matter who, who how big your name is, who you are, they, they are going to still see a quarterback out there. Yeah, up. absolutely. And and what are you, are you really going to take the ball out of Trevor, Her- Tre- Trevor Lawrence's hand to put it in Tim Tebow's hands? Like, that – no. Well, they, they, I, I think they wouldn't be crazy enough to do it. But you know what? We'll see. <laughs> We'll see. Uh, I, I share the same thought as you. I don't see him. You know, maybe he goes to the preseason. It's, sure. it's, it's fun for the fans and fun for the team. Get attention. But like you said, I think now you should be focused on winning. You got a new head coach, new quarterback, great quarterback. 
and um even uh Trevor uh Etienne, I always yeah. his name, but he he's a great uh pickup as well or draft, excuse me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and I, the most I, to Trevor in the right position. Yeah, and, and I love that they've you know they've taken Etienne and they've done some stuff like working him out at wide receiver and everything. Not not for the sake of changing his position or anything like that, but just giving him that experience as being a pass catcher and stuff so they can line him out at wide and kind of use him a bit of the same way that I think you can expect to see Alvin Kamara used throughout the season in the slot and all that other stuff, a little bit more 2017-esque. I think you'll see that from from uh, Travis Etienne as well, especially when you have a running back like James Robinson who just burst on the scene last year as an undrafted free agent and went for over 1,000 yards as a rookie running back. Like, really, really incredible stuff. And, you know, they have they have a lot of pieces, and that defense has always been right on the verge yeah. You know, and, and so, you know, I just look at the resources spent, the time invested, all these other things that you really can be putting towards trying to turn this team around and to waste that on, you know, this, you know, this money grab to sell some jerseys and everything like that. And, you know, again, I don't mean any disrespect or anything like that, but I, I just don't look at it as a reality for Tim Tebow to be a contributing factor to the Jacksonville Jaguars. For sure, I feel you, and for sure, and like you said, it's not you know taking anything away from Tebow. If he goes and has you know a thousand yard season with ten touchdowns, that would even be better for the media. So for real, I would be so excited about that. Like that you would know, be great. It's a win win for the fans. It is truly. Mm-hmm. So I'm not gonna hold you too much longer. I do want to go back to the Saints real quick and get your way too early record prediction. And oh then, yeah, and then I have a, a, a question that I always ask on the podcast that I want to get to you as well. Definitely. Yeah. I kind of put them, I, I think they can be a 10 win team this year. Mm-hmm. So I kind of put them at about 11 and six or 12 and five with the new 17 game season. And, and, and I give them the, or, wait, is that right? 11 and yeah, 11 and six, 12, five. That's right. Um, yeah. and, and it, for me, it all hinges on the New York jets game. <laughs> <laughs> Cause that New York jets game is that game that you feel like the team should win. Mm-hmm. And because of that, you never know what's going to happen. And it comes off at the back end of a really, really tough stretch between weeks seven through 13. If I remember correctly, it starts with that road trip to Seattle to uh, on week seven from Monday night football that comes right off the bye week. So that's a tough week. And then they'll come off the two Thursday night games, uh, the Thanksgiving game against the Buffalo Bills. And then the, the following Thursday night, they'll take on the uh, the Dallas Cowboys on national TV and then they'll get an extended break there. And then soon after that, they'll take on the, uh, the New York jets. And so that's the game that I think can swing it to either 12 and five or 11 and six. But I do think this can be a successful team if they succeed at the quarterback position, which can be either one of those guys, but as long as they make the decision that is right for the team and that ends up being right for the team, I think they can be a 10 win team uh, along with that. And, and the, the young defense stepping up. As do I. I. I got them at right at twelve and five myself. I think uh I don't think we lose a lot. I feel like um it was like you said, it was obvious to see what we needed. And I think uh it was just a fresh start at quarterback, you know, some youth back there. Mm-hmm. And, um I like twelve and five, Super Bowl win, Tom Brady sucks. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> I had a flash question I want to ask right there, but that's fine. A question that I always ask on the podcast is especially mm-hmm. Uh, mental health and men don't get asked a lot about their, you know, how they're feeling. I want to know on a scale of one to ten how you are mentally, physically, and business wise. I love it. And, and you want a one through ten on all of them? Yes, sir. And an explanation if you can. 
Yeah, yeah. So I think mentally, I'm mentally I'm at a 10. You know, we're talking on a Sunday right now. So I'm like rested. I'm good. I'm feeling great. Like things are coming back. Stuff is opening up. I'm feeling safe. I'm vaccinated. Like everything, everything just feels good right now. So I put myself there. Physically, I'm at an eight because I think as I've gotten across the age of 30, I think that's my max now. <laughs> I, th- I think there was a time where I was able to be physically a 10, but I think for the most part, an eight is pretty good <laughs> for where I am now. And then uh, uh, business-wise, uh, I'm successful, I'm good, but I'm always looking to grow. So I'll never say that I'm perfect. So I'll put myself at a nine there so that there's always an opportunity to get better. Amen. I like that. I like that. I like to hear that train of thought. And that's that's really great. And I uh, you know, you reminded me of a, Le- uh, a LeBron right there a little bit. He's like, "Oh, I'll never be back to 100." percent That's kind of what you got. Me right? Doing. Yeah, that's that. Those days are over, man. <laughs> <laughs> the days of 100. percent The I was born February 11th of 1990. The days of 100 percent ended February 12th of 1990. That was it. <laughs> there was no more. Ha- that was the last one. <laughs> last bit. And then, since it is happening tonight, Floyd versus Logan Paul. Who you got? Oh, Lord, please, Floyd, come through. Come through, Floyd. Come through, Floyd. I can't have this. I can't have this, like, this entertainer come through and this this YouTube star. No no offense to folks on YouTube. Locked on Saints is on YouTube. But, you know, no offense to any of that. But I can't have this YouTube star come in and bust up. Like, this happens. On, like, black boxers are so important to the black community. I don't think people know really know that unless you're a part of the community and understand that. Mm-hmm. But, like, going back to Muhammad Ali, going back to Walt Frazier, going back to, you know, uh, George Foreman, like, all these guys, so incredibly important to the black community. And Floyd Mayweather is kind of, like, the last bastion at the moment. And I can't have him going down to Logan Paul. Like, come on. Logan? Come on. Oh. <laughs> uh- Man, listen, Ross, it's been absolutely my pleasure. I appreciate you for taking time and making this happen for me. And, um, you know, like you said, hopefully this is the last time we speak together about the Saints or about anything of that nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, any last questions, any last comments or anything that you got? No, man, it's just it's been such a pleasure to be able to chop it up with you and everything. And, you know, you you say thank you. You, you, you thank me for, you know, doing this for you. But, man, this was just as much for me too. like it's always fun to be able to jump in and, and, and chop it up and, and talk about what I love with, uh, with with people that I really respect. And I have a ton of respect for you and what you've done in terms of getting your show off the off the ground and everything. And so just just keep grinding, keep doing what you're doing. And, you know, unless no matter what anybody tells you, unless it's keep going, don't worry about it. Just do you. And you know, you're doing such a great job. So I appreciate you having me come through and I'm, I'm glad to be a part of your journey, man. Hey man, I appreciate that real wise words from the guy. Uh, the show is called keys to shine. So when you want, you kind of left us with a key to shine there, but do you have any keys to shine you want to leave us with today? Oh, I, I think, I mean, I think the key is to shine, right? Like yes, if you want to, if you want to be a star, you got to shine. So my key to shine is to shine and shine bright, man. Amen. Hey, Ross Jackson, ladies and gentlemen, Keys to Shine. I'm your host, Keyshawn Jackson.